From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine. We're coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas's Opus College of Business, serving more than 3,000 students enrolled in its undergraduate and graduate business programs. The college develops effective, principled business leaders who think globally and act ethically. And now, by all means. Chuck Runyon and Dave Mortensen opened their first Anytime Fitness gym in 2002. Their concept was an alternative to big box gyms, a no-frills space with little supervision, just workout equipment that was available literally anytime. 17 years later, Anytime Fitness is the world's largest fitness franchise company with nearly 5,000 locations on six, soon to be seven, continents and $2 billion in annual revenue. Chuck and Dave created a parent company, Self Esteem Brands, that also includes Waxing in the City, Basecamp Fitness, and recently Bar Method. Chuck and Dave have earned just about every entrepreneurial award imaginable. They've been recognized as one of America's most promising companies by Forbes and the fastest growing fitness club by International Health Racket and Sports Club Association. We are lucky to have them here today. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Elson. It's good to be here. And- that sounds impressive. Who are those dudes? Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> Do you recognize know those guys? guys? No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Dave, I think the last time I saw you, I don't know if you remember this, you were actually, I was giving you an award at EY yep. for the Entrepreneur of the Year Heartland division, and you were carrying a poster <laughs> of Chuck's face on a stick. He, that- he, you know, he if I don't carry him around all the time, I carry him <laughs> everywhere we go, so you know I have okay. to have him by myself. And I, hope he, I hope he was carrying like, it above his head because I'm taller than him, so right. that was fitting. Oh, yeah. Gave yeah. Him well, a that's height. only because of yes. your hair, though. Absolutely right. Yeah. Yes. How did the two of you meet? It was 30 years ago, so we've been partners for a long time. Uh, we were both in the fitness industry, but at different clubs. I was on the east side of St. Paul. Dave was in West St. Paul, both working in clubs, and they were not uh, didn't have the same ownership, but the owners came together and decided to make it reciprocal. So if you remember one, you could use the other to give the consumers a little bit more of an advantage. And uh, Dave and I started to get to know each other then. At the time, we had a third partner, and so we're working in the fitness space, and uh, we both love competitive sports, so we'd play racquetball together. You know, We'd uh, screw around in the club together playing tennis and some other things and we just really fostered a friendship which turned into a great business partnership too. Were you high school athletes? I mean was fitness always a, a focus or something you wanted to do as a career? Absolutely you know Chuck was in basketball of course uh, um, but you know I always say Chuck's like the master of everything well he's, he's good at everything and not master of anything <laughs> but uh, he's just a hell of an athlete and uh, you know I was in wrestling for many many years so I collegiately wrestled a little bit and did all that. Okay. And, and so we we love like if you think about competitiveness, we love those part of our culture. I think it's uh, and so we try to hire people who have some maybe some competitive traits, whether they were in individual sports or team sports. But you know, for business is a team sport, and so it's for us, it's just naturally to want to win. Absolutely. So for each of you, when you were in school, were you thinking I'm going to go into the fitness industry? Was that a conscious decision, or was it just they, sort well, of where it's you? It's funny. Ended up? I I. Graduated high school knowing the industry I wanted to be in, I'm in it today. I'm a, one of the more rare people out there because I love what I do every day, and I probably love it more today than I did then. But, yeah, I came out of school wanting to be actually a fitness trainer. And here's the irony. It's the only thing I haven't done in the industry. <laughs> really? I've ran daycares. I've cleaned toilets. I've, I've done the chemicals in pools. You name it, I've probably done it in the industry, but I've never been a personal trainer. So when I retire, that's, that's where I'm going. Do. 
Yeah, I, I didn't. I, uh, I started uh, after high school, and you know, I, I found the culture interesting because I loved the the health club uh, place. But I kind of fell in love with it, so I didn't know initially. I was just kind of dabbling, and here I am today. So when the two of you teamed up, and after you're off the racquetball court and you're not competing, you're thinking about opportunity. What did you originally think that looked like? Was well, it marketing? Yeah, we had a so Dave and I were really good at generating memberships for clubs. And so this is remember a pre digital era. So we'd use things like direct mail and referral campaigns and corporate sales and radio and TV. And so we became very good at just going to a market and generating hundreds, sometimes thousands of memberships for health clubs. And so we started a company that would hire individuals and we would train them and we would send them off to cities around the, the US, Canada and Australia, and we would help health club owners generate more revenue. And so that we did that from 1990 until 2005. It was 15 years. That's really was our bread and butter. And along the way, we came across some distressed clubs, clubs that were not doing very well. They were like neighborhood community centers, and they were likely going to go out of business. And where Dave worked was one of them in West St. Paul. We had another one in northern Minnesota, another one in western Wisconsin. And we kind of turned those clubs around. And it was during the ownership of those clubs, which were profitable and successful, but we realized that most of our members were coming in to use cardiovascular equipment and strength equipment and they were not using the pools and whirlpool saunas or racquetball courts and then we kept thinking about this idea of more of an express club closer to their home or work give them 24-hour access and really owning those clubs was, was the genesis of how we came up with the idea for anytime fitness yeah part of that is to find a gap in, a, in an in industry or anyone that's looking to get into entrepreneurship has to find what's that gap in the industry or the space they want to go into and our gap was mostly businesses out there were destination places Right. Um, there were places that you had to drive a pretty good distance to get a workout in. Um, today, what we believed is we wanted to bring fitness to every community possible. And we got a long way to go, but we're making a good headway to it. And so part of this is right, entrepreneurs want to solve problems. And so when we had this bigger club in West St. Paul, right, I used to live the closest to it. And, you know, you'd hire someone and typically they'd be they may be a teenager, 18, 19, 20 years old, to open up the club at like five AM on Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that nineteen and twenty year olds aren't the most responsible. So quite a few times throughout the year, I would get the phone call because I live closest that they didn't show up for work. Right. And so I'd have to jump out of bed, get in my car and race to the club. And if I got there at like 520 to open, I mean, if you get, if you're pissing off someone who's willing to wake up at 5am to work out on a Sunday, they were irate. Yeah, I bet. So I did that far too many times. Right. And, and we'd sit around saying, how do we solve this problem, right? Don't, wouldn't it be great if our members just kind of had the access to that? And so, well, Chuck, I'll even add to that story because I was one of those people that used to open the gym at 6 a.m. in the morning. So I thought I'd be better than everyone else, and I'd come in at 5.30. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Then everyone's sitting in the parking lot at 5.15 <laughs> thinking the club's just opening earlier. So it, it just continued to be a challenge to try and please your uh, your members to give them accessibility to the gym. And so we kept gnawing at this problem, like how do we solve it, how do we solve it? And then in one of our marketing campaigns, there was a really small town in Tennessee. Tennessee, Tullahoma, Tennessee, and I flew down there to visit the team that was doing it just to check up on them, make sure they're doing okay. And we were doing a marketing campaign for a smaller club, you know, that just had weights and cardio. And the owner was literally giving away like a like a home key, like, like you go build, make it a hardware store, right? A mm-hmm. physical key. And that's when it kind of like the light bulb went off. I'm like, wait a second. 
they're giving away a key. They're not always staffed. And, you know, they didn't have security and they didn't really have a, a business wrapped around this idea. And I, that's when we, Dave and I talked and we're like, hey, this is the opportunity. This is our differentiator. Sure. Let's give members the key, a key to use it anytime they want. Let's make sure it's secure. And uh, let's make sure it's, of course, professionalized. It's really clean and runs well. But to give members the ultimate convenience to control that destiny. And in a club setting, you, you didn't necessarily need to be there all the time. Now, this idea, this type of club model didn't exist. But that's really where the spark for the idea came and the differentiator for Anytime Fitness. So you have this idea. You know what it's going to be. Um, for the very first one, was it you guys? When did you come up with the franchise model? Was that at the, right at the beginning? Well, that's part of it. Know, know that prior to this, we've already been business partners for, what, close to 12, 13 years. Mm-hmm. We've been doing consulting, right? We've been working all across the U.S., a little bit in Canada, some work in Australia, a little bit in Mexico, working with all different scales and sizes of gym. So we really understood that model. And one thing we noticed is a gap in even franchising and the way they supported their franchisees. And we were doing so much work inside of gyms that were franchised and helping support their franchisees, we thought, well, is this an area that we could actually enter into? Is this something we could do? So we really went into becoming students again and really learning about the the business of franchising. And when we started to learn about that, we said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be a franchisor and we're going to empower entrepreneurs to open their own businesses. What most people don't know about our franchise system is we didn't own our first gym till almost number 30. So the first That's 30 unusual, openings were all Very franchisees. So how did you find your first franchiser, your first person? Our, our first three had worked with us. They worked with us in our other companies. And so they took the kind of the bet, right, to open these. The first one was in Cambridge, Minnesota, the second in Duluth, and the third in Albert Lee, Minnesota. And three, first of all, it's neat because all three of them are with us today, right? Hmm. Our the mm-hmm. Eric Keller, who opened up club number one in Cambridge, is now on our international team, and he's helping franchisees across the world. Uh, Janelle Abernathy, franchisee number two, still has five clubs in Duluth, and our third franchise owner still has this club in Albert Lee. So the 17 years later, oh, right? Tom. But yeah. Tom, I'm sorry. yeah. Why didn't you want to open the first ones yourself just to kind of work out the kinks or figure it out? You know, I've been asked that question a lot. No, our involvement in every one of these studios were uh, really entrenched in helping and supporting them. A lot of people don't understand when you're opening your own and you're operating, you t- kind of get stuck in the weeds sometimes. Hmm. We knew we could stay above the fold of the weeds, but dive in so you can zoom in and zoom out like great leaders will do. They'll zoom into the business where those needs are and really work on enhancing the the deeper services to help support our franchisees. And we had good people we knew and we were very, very transparent saying, hey, listen, we're, we're learning with you, okay? But no, we're going to be on your, on your side. And we just had a lot of people at that time really believed in us. That first gentleman, Eric Keller, literally heard about this concept while we were cleaning a track. I was running the buffer. He was running the mop, literally, and he was my general manager at that club. And at that point in time, I told him a little bit about this concept. He ran to Chuck the next day and said, I want to be your first franchisee. Hmm. There's where number one came. At this point, how many do you own individual clubs? Does does your parent company own clubs, or is it all franchise? No, uh, we own about give or take about thirty clubs our, as a corporate. All the rest are franchise, and then we have about eight Waxon City units. We have six base camp units, and uh, we, right now we have one uh, bar method. So, accumulative, we're about forty-ish corporate units, but we really are geared to enrich and empower franchisees. What do you think? It's interesting the the approach that you took, and it makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of people start with 
one idea, mm. one place, one business, and then think, oh, the way to grow is to become mm. a franchise Correct. operation. That's so the playbook, you, normally. You, yeah. So you approached it in a very different way. What would you say is is the key to running a successful franchise business? Well, it is very, I mean, you're always serving franchisees. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're trying to make sure you can put them in the best site location, give them the best training, and you're, you're just empowering others. I mean, a, a successful franchisor is reliant on successful franchisees. So you're mm-hmm. waking up every day trying to serve others. You have to have the mindset first that it's it's about your other stakeholders. And if you can empower them, if you can help them grow their business, ultimately the franchisor will be successful. Great. Yeah, I, I would share that this really goes around our, our, our belief of delivering a high-performance culture, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, Chuck and I wrote a book about love work, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really love work, love life, because they're in parallel with each other. But it's really around our four Ps of people, purpose, profits, and play, and we can dive into that at any time. Yeah, well, let's let's do it. Give, sure. t- talk about your, your Ps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's interesting because uh, a founder, there's a difference between being maybe a founder and a leader. Mm-hmm. You know, a founder comes up with the ideas, but at some point, if you want to build a company, you got to become a leader. And a leader doesn't come up with the ideas. They like harvest the ideas of the team, right? It's our job to now just pull the very, very best out of our team. And so we realized that we needed to operationalize a culture uh, that uh, so our company could behave the right way, especially when we're not in the room. And so what it came down to is our four Ps, our belief in investing in people, our belief in having a purpose that is much bigger than ourselves. Uh, profits are incredibly important in franchising. Franchisees need to make profits to make this work. And then play. I mean, we just work too long and too hard not to have fun every single day. And, you know, we've, we've been able to take the work very, very seriously or without taking ourselves seriously. And so we try to live those four Ps every day in the office. And it really radiates out to our franchisees and to our personal lives. And, and many people talk about, you know, everyone talks about culture and, you know, you can put a cute sign on the wall and you can put your brand and your vision. I mean, our vision and mission of, of really self-esteem brands is to improve the self-esteem of the world. Now, that's the most loftiest, arrogant thing I'm going to look at you and say, <laughs> but we believe you only can do it one person at a time. So it's every person we touch, we want to make an impact. And no matter what stakeholder it is, it could be an employee of ours, it could be a leader of ours, it could be a franchisee, it could be a consumer. We want to make that impact. But know that culture is something that what people miss in culture and business is building it as a part of their strategy every year. So we really lay out our people, purpose, profits, and play and go, how are we delivering on these four pillars and what are we doing to continue to enhance them, build them, grow them, and develop them? It's very, very important. You know, that vision statement, improve the self-esteem of the world, we came up with that in 2010. And uh, it's so you were really well lofty. in, but guess what? Now, today, right on seven continents and 40 mm-hmm. countries, it doesn't seem so lofty anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about that seventh continent, but I'm, I'm really curious how did the two of you get so smart about leadership? We weren't good at doing anything else, so we had to find people to do it for us. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm kidding. That sounds like one of those humble brag things, but it's true. True. Like right now, today, our company wouldn't even hire us. We're, we're not, I mean, at the end of the day, we're gritty, we're competitive. Neither yeah. of you have MBAs, or do you? Uh, I don't, I I've got a, yeah. I was a, you, uh, you do have an MBA. No, I don't no. have an MBA. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to use the word shitty. I was a shitty high school student, and I barely went to college. Okay. So we're really, really not that smart. You, you never worked for other, you, you weren't groomed at a Fortune nope. 500. Nope. Did you have mentors in the world of if, business? If, if there are people listening today, I see so many great college students and I see so many great people that have unbelievable talent. But there's a thing that Chuck's brought up a couple of times. It's called grit. 
It's the, the willingness to have the grind. It's the willingness to see above and beyond what you're being told and to think ahead of everyone in front of you. Chuck and I just are always looking what's in front of us. We don't spend a lot of time looking around us or behind us. Um, in fact, we're probably really bad about celebrating accolades. When you brought up uh, early on, you were talking about us, we're like, hey, that's pretty good. We just haven't talked <laughs> no. about that that much. Because <laughs> right. we're so busy probably looking at each other going, we suck. And we're beating ourselves up and no, going, No, you don't say that. Uh, yeah, we do all oh my God. the time. Yeah, 99% of the time we're in meetings to hey. think what is wrong with our company and what's wrong with us. We uh, we like to say we're pretty good at self-hate. Like we're, we're seriously, we drive home most days thinking we're screwed up this company. And, we get and, some and don't issues. get self-hate with, um, we have, we definitely have a sense of self-love. We love to have fun, right? We enjoy our lives like anyone, but when it comes to improving, we never are satisfied with where we're yeah, at. Never. And that's what grit is all about. Having the grind to say, how can we improve? How can we grow? How can we change? What are we doing wrong? And you know what? You have to analyze all that stuff every day. And at the end of the day, there's not many companies. Once they get to the point they think they're really great, that's the demise of an organization. And Hmm. look, don't get me wrong. A formal education is, is critical, right? But think about the words like curiosity, collaboration competitiveness. I mean, those to us are intangibles, which are really important to grow a business and foster within a team. And then, you know, we try to eradicate complacency in our organization. As you get bigger, it grows in the little corners of an organization. So we got to make sure to eradicate that and we can never be satisfied. I mean, how, we can, how do we you should do sell- that? Well, I, I think it's walking the talk, as David mentioned. I mean, we, we should take, as leaders, we need to celebrate when our team is doing well, but then we need to readjust and, you know, raise the bar again on what the expectations are. Because again, it's not about us. It's about our, the members we serve. It's about the franchisees we serve. It's about other people. And so there are people in communities who need more of our services to be healthier. There are franchisees who need more of our services to run a more profitable business. So that never ends. The quest to get better never ends, especially in today's environment where there's so much going on in the digital space and, and uh, the competitive space. You know, in today's world, one of the things I would tell people that are listening is be really intelligent about going to an organization that believe your voice matters. I mean, Chuck and I will tell you in any meeting you come into, there are no titles, right? And the only voice that doesn't matter in the room is the one not speaking right? We want to hear from everyone. Everyone's voice matters. And you know what? We have to listen from every possible point. When we look at our org chart, we want to flip it upside down because our real job is to really serve up the, the community and allow them to flourish, right? And if you listen to people, you'll get the most out of your business, but you, you can't be the ideas person all the time because the greatest ideas are down at the ground level. And you know what? I do want to clarify why I wasn't a very good traditional student. I think both of us have been 30 years of learning. It's been nonstop learning. We are a student of business, a student of people, a student of, you know, we've never led a company this big. And so for us, it's like every day we wake up, we're like, this is the biggest company we've ever led, right? And so we don't have any traditional experience there. I'm really curious. Obviously, you two were ambitious. You wanted to do something. Once you had the vision for any time, did you ever write down what your goals were for this company? Did you envision 5,000 locations <laughs> going worldwide? We have, we have different answers on this. Yeah, we do. First it of all, be funny. I, I'd say for the first few years now we were scrappy we we're startup we didn't have business plans and we didn't write strategic we just did right we just worked mm-hmm. we just tried to get better never wrote a business plan no no 
I mean, so when our company started getting bigger, like when you get 50 people in 100 These aren't 100 the right people. things to do, by <laughs> the way. <laughs> we made mistakes. Professors are cringing no, here at St. Thomas. And professors, yeah. you yeah. should be cringing. That's why we made a lot of mistakes early on. But as your company gets bigger and there's more people, you and now you start to have to write things down like org charts and strategic plans and, and initiatives and priorities and resources. So all that stuff has to come as your business gets bigger. We do Our budgeting now and our, our strategic planning is far more rigorous. I'm 10 times more rigorous than it ever was before. How many employees do you have uh collectively over 800 but that includes like our clubs and our studios etc in woodbury we've got about 350 okay. the corporate team there okay so what is your answer dave as far as did you see it being 5,000 locations and worldwide yeah she said dave i know c's are trying to speak for me again you know this is what happens in partnerships no you know what i'll tell you is we had a vision a long time ago and i'm one of these internal optimists so if, if we say it I believe we're going to do it. And we had a vision that we are going to open up 10,000 gyms someday and be the largest franchise system, one of the largest franchise systems in the world. And uh, you know what? If you don't believe in what you're going to achieve, you better rethink about what you're going to do. And I just thoroughly believed it. I continue to believe it. And we'll hit it. This is where I think he's full of shit. (laughs) Dude, we're on seven continents and 5,000 clubs. You didn't think we'd be here 17 years ago. You're full crap. Oh, hold on. Come I on. Absolutely, Come on. I absolutely I'm calling bull. Believe bull. I absolutely well, believe it. Okay, let's bull. talk Look, when about it. Hey, this is what happens when you get it. stuck with a Dude, pessimist in your right. life. No, no. You know? right. I like to use the word pragmatic. Pragmatic. Yeah, that's for, another way of saying a pessimist, day, by the way, everyone listening. All right, but first of all, we didn't even know if the idea would work. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought it would work, right? It was a brand new mm-hmm. model. And then it's like, God, can we get a couple hundred open? And then after a couple, of few hundred, we're like, wow, there's something big here. But we weren't making plans to open up globally, like 40 countries and seven continents. We're just trying to grow. So By the way, the, I believed it would work. Did, what was the first country you went to outside of the oh, United States? Well, Canada, if that counts. Okay. It's kind of like Barely. Our cousin, yeah, right? Yeah. right? Australia. Okay. So yeah. 2008, uh, we use a master franchise agreement, which means someone comes to us and they sell and support their own franchisees in that country. We support them on being the franchisor. Today, they have 600 clubs and they're the number one fitness brand in their marketplace. You know, that was an interesting part, too, is you look at how we expand. And today, we've got just an amazing group of master franchisees that really represent our brand in every country. But we did it a little bit uniquely different. We wanted to go in and say, you know what, who do we truly want to work with? It comes back down to our four Ps. And people was a big part of that. Because everyone at the end of the day that you're going to partner with has the financial capability. And the one thing we learned early going to master franchising that, frankly, we we could have done earlier in, in franchising was um, the word no. You know what? You know what? Maybe they're not the right partner. You know, hmm. at the end of the day, if you can't sit down and have a cocktail with this person and enjoy their company, why the hell are you going to work with them? And we made that decision really, really early, and it's been very, very uh, successful for us because they have that grind, that grit, that ability to see beyond, um, you know, what's going on around them and be able to grow their businesses. So there's been a lot of buzz about the fact that you are going to open in Antarctica. Yes. Is that a vanity project? Like, what? why? Why an Because we can. Okay. But, but, but to answer your question, yeah. yes, it's a vanity project. <laughs> look, look, no franchise in the history of franchising. Uh, Twelve franchise brands have been on five continents. Ten have been on six. 
No, no, no other franchise brands been in seven. We're going to be the first ever, maybe the first ever business to be on all seven continents. Does when did it, that become a goal? Does it make financial sense? No. Is it oh, a vanity a product? Back. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, after we after we signed Morocco, which is for us continent number six, Africa, we're like we have to get to seven. Yeah. And as a, as a there was a gentleman in place on our international team. We gave this task to to say let's make some connections. He couldn't make it work. And then uh, we had a new person who was on our team, and we said, hey, look, we still want to make this work. He made it work, right? And so we're bringing him along. Along with, as Dave mentioned, our very first franchisee, Eric Keller, he opened up Anytime Fitness number one. He's going to come with us. He's going to be the first guy to step on that continent and open up uh, our seventh continent. How do you open a club in Antarctica? Who is going to use the club we in don't Antarctica? Care. <laughs> Penguins. <laughs> no. Uh, so it's a, a bit clever. It is on a ship. That ship is going to be in Antarctica six months out of the year. And so all the people on the boat and anyone in the port can use the Anytime Fitness club that's on a ship. Okay, but it will be stationed on that continent six months out of the year. Okay, yeah. that that's that's worth that's good. And that, so again, creative, right? Yes. And so you, whatever you can make work, we make it work. So the fitness industry has changed a lot since you started yes. seventeen years yes. ago. Um, at the time, the competition was mainly the big box, big box gyms, gyms that sure. you referenced. Um, interesting that I mean Minnesota is really a hotbed for fitness companies. We, we, we instead of Silicon Valley, we call it Sweat Valley. Ah. I mean, we have a, a bunch of equipment manufacturers here. We yeah. have, uh, of course, a bunch of fitness brands here. So right. it is. It Absolutely. is. Hub. Why, why do you think that is? Why? I, think, I think if you go back, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, Minnesota has been a leading uh, culture of like a medical innovation. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you think about and Scandinavian culture, right, we're, we're comfortable inside and outside. And I think, you know, people who valued health, those executives were looking probably for a place to be healthy and an hmm. adverse client. And then like those executives may, may, may go work at those brands. And so therefore it kind of helped professionalize the industry. So I think it's a little bit of climate, a little bit of our heritage and just a little bit of our medical um, culture that Minnesota has. I also think when... Um uh, success breeds success, right? And one, if one starts to see For it, sure. there are surroundings that happen. Like if you go into the boat manufacturing in- industry, you know you can go down to Tennessee and find about every boat manufacturing company. Mm-hmm. You know, car dealerships are over in uh, Michigan. So, you know, you start to look at um, fields of work and, they, you know, if one's doing really well, others around them go, you know what, maybe I could do that same thing in a different way. Exactly. Sure. So as we've seen this, like, boom of these boutiques fitness gyms and it seems like the trend has been towards more um, touch points more service classes you know high into like the soul cycles of the world you guys fly in the face of that is it become harder to compete or does or does that trend help you in a way well let me first say that our philosophy is health first brand second which yeah. just means we stand for people getting healthier so when like when Dave and I meet someone and they learn with any time in this they like apologize if they go to a different competitor we're like <laughs> no 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 we're happy you're being healthy the world needs to get to a healthier place right so we want people to be healthy Sure, we hope they choose our brand, but if not, we're just glad they're going And anyone they're going that doesn't believe that, we, we, we preach this inside of our brand. Listen, only 19, 20% of the U.S. today engage in some type of commercial atmosphere. Well, everyone that's listening on this call knows what a 20% is on a test. Well, that's still a failing grade. Health and fitness to us is a lot more important. we got 80% of the community we can still attract and adapt to. So, you know, we've got a lot more to grow into. We've got to focus on the people who aren't doing it. Yes, we want to we wanna make the one. 20% who are doing it happy and find success with them but we have a, a big plethora of people that we can work with I, I got some of those failing grades by the way I got some of those 20% I got 20% <laughs> um, but, but why, do you think, yeah. why do you think you would do go along but let me also say the, the fitness industry 
30 years of growth. It's still projected globally for another, for the foreseeable future. More people are entering this preventative, whether it's corporate wellness, whether it's insurance companies subsidizing it. We're in a great industry. More consumers are entering this space. And so, frankly, they need more variety. They need, need more options. So we're enthused. At the more awareness and accessibility and variety that consumers have, the better our industry is going to be overall. But don't let me... Don't let us get you wrong. You're asking a really good question, right? Is competition harder? Is the business getting harder? Yes. yes. Absolutely. You know, and the greatest businesses out there are going to continue to evolve and grow. Listen, if a business is... It's our mantra, right? If you're not changing, you're not evolving your business. One thing we tell our franchisees every day, what you're acquiring and getting involved in today will not look the same five years 10 years down the road. Know that your investment needs to have a mindset of evolution. We are going to change it, we're going to grow it, and we're going to do it collectively together. So it is more uh, challenging, but also uh, uniquely exciting too, because we get to uh, find a differentiation in the space we're in today that makes us even stronger than we were. We're in that brand evolution right now. And, and let me give you some less obvious competitors. Obviously, we're, we're fighting over fitness consumers with the, our competitors, but we're also fighting for real estate space. It is a really hot market out there. Hmm. We're fighting for talent from an employment perspective, right? It is a very low unemployment rate. Heck, we're fighting for the attention of our consumers on the cell phone. Entrepreneurs. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it is, uh, yeah, we have so many different competitors we're fighting. So as a a consumer not in the field, I mean, everywhere you go, it seems every strip center now has some sort of fitness thing, whether it's cycling or yoga or whatever. Um, It's it's amazing when you hear the numbers, and I've heard them that, you know, I mean, how much of the market isn't working out at all, because it seems like it's everywhere. Do you ever think about like w- would there ever be a time that Anytime offers cycling or classes of any we, kind? We, we do classes now. You uh, do. We, we do yeah. group classes. Um, you know, like functional team workouts. We have a, a various variety for a, maybe a beginner versus advanced, and we do, of course, do personal training and we do remote coaching. And so, you know, for us, we're it's really more about health, a little bit less about fitness. We're trying to provide some education, motivation, and uh, some help for our members to be healthier outside of the club. And so bring health into their home, bring health into the workplace, help them ride bikes and be more active when they're not inside the club. So the combination of remote coaching, group coaching, and of course just the convenience is what is compelling and driving Anytime Fitness forward. Yeah, well, everyone else is trying to fight for the next great workout, right? Um, there's no secret to working out. You do it, it works, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we all want a variety of difference. That's the beauty of Anytime is we can give them a variety of different exercise programming they can do. But what most gyms are lacking today is people need help. They need support. This is something, if you look at every great success story, look at the shadows behind them because there's normally a pretty amazing support system around them. In fact, in most people's success in life, look at the people that surround them because that's the greatness that they have around them is those shadows. We believe in fitness. There is someone that needs to ins- not just inspire you, not just coach you, not just educate you, but also you know, kick you in the butt once in a while when maybe you're falling down and you need that extra drive. So there's many different reasons why we believe people need a coach. And uh, you know what? We all need coaches in different fields. That's why the teachers here do such a great job, too, because they're teaching these kids how to become, grow, and groom themselves. And I think with technology now, we can help people live healthier lives, not just come to the club more often. That's really the goal. Mm -hmm. So what do you anticipate being the biggest change or shift or development in the next five years for any time? Is it just growth, 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 or is it new programming within your existing 
It, well, it's really both, both, but we start in, inside out. I mean, we have to keep our current franchisees running successful businesses. Number one, they buy more franchises. But then number two is that their success propels other uh, prospects to come into the fold. And so we really focus on our current network first and then think about growth second. So it, it's really more providing more value with our brand so that consumers, of course, are staying longer, paying more, and seeing the output of better health. What do the two of you do on a daily basis? Where, where do you spend most of your time and how much of that time is together? Sometimes too much. <laughs> are you like, our do you have like back-to-back office. back desks? Or I'm just uh, well, we have back-to-back offices. We do have back-to-back okay. back offices. Okay. A little we, wall between you. Know, frankly, we we have day, frankly, we have days that we spend a lot of time, especially if we're meeting with our leaders. But uh, there's days, there may be weeks we don't see each other at all. Uh, soon Chuck will be uh, flying uh, flying out of town. I'll be going to Australia and uh, Japan. Uh, where are you flying to? Oh, you're going San out Francisco. to our- San uh, Francisco. Yep. Bar Method Conference. Bar yeah. Method Conference. So uh, we're busy doing different new nuances of the business, but uh, what we've done pretty good as uh, joint leaders is be able to uh, connect on a daily basis to find out what's going on around us. So at any point in time, if someone needs us, we, we are readily available and they're not getting a differentiation of answers. So our job today is just help our team of leaders, right? Make sure they've got the right strategic plan, you know, challenge them on their thinking, make sure they have the resources to win, uh, provide the culture that the team needs uh, to win and attract new talent. So at this point, you know, we were more editors uh, of ideas and strategic plans and just empowering our team to, to go off and run the business. And then did the two of you establish early on what role you would each play? Or I mean, what, what, do you, what do you think Dave is best at? And Dave, what do you think Chuck is best at? That is a great question. Um, I, I think Dave is, is like a, a phenomenal firefighter. What I mean by that is he's, his tendency is when there is a problem, he runs to the problem, right, to solve it. He's a problem solver. And he's really good at zooming in, like acutely, zooming in on an issue, rolling up his sleeves, and really working with the team to make sure they figure out that problem. So, um, you know, there are people who run away from the problem, people who run to it. Dave runs to it all the time. And I would say Chuck is, is always thinking ahead of everybody else. He makes great even better um that's just what he does he flourishes in the best scenarios and he's got great vision so he's uh, it leans into that visionary side and always uh looking to go against the grain you normally think chuck is going to th- challenge everyone in the room their thoughts each and every day so like if you were on our team allison and you brought a problem and you just were having to solve it I might give you a few ideas or something, but I would kind of zoom back and just say, "Look, you, you, you know, you're smart. You go figure it out, right?" And Dave is like, "All right, let's get in that. Right? Let me let, let me jump in there and do it with you." And sometimes our team needs that, and but sometimes they need my approach. We don't always get it right, but I think that's a nice little uh, compliment to the team is they know they hmm. can count on one of us for what they need at that. And moment. does the team know at this point? I need a Chuck approach, or I oh, need a Dave they, approach. Very much, very they much. definitely know, and we also know too. There's times when we will look at each other and go, "Hey, I'm going to go zoom into this one," or yeah. Chuck may say. So, you know what? I'm going to run with this. Yeah, I mean, and, and, it's just the way it works. And don't get me wrong. It's not either or. Sometimes yeah. people look at me and say, Chuck, you got to get a little bit closer to this problem. And I'll say, Dave, you got to give our team room to breathe. You got to get out of that you, thing. You get out of the way. I mean, you can't micromanage this, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so this is leadership is not perfect. Um, uh, trust me, there are still things we get wrong. And uh, there are still mistakes we're making all the time. You know, we're just trying to do our best in this situation. Do you two ever disagree? 
All the time. All the time. And how do you deal with that? You know, First, if you were in our meetings, you'd be surprised. We get very animated. I mean, no one argues more than Dave and I passionately. I mean, you would think we don't like each other, but guess what? <laughs> we're doing it to challenge each other's idea. I mean, even if I really believe in this idea, I'm going to be devil's advocate. I'm going to challenge Absolutely. it. I'm behalf to make it better. And neither of us take it personal. We never leave the office angry. And our team is now used to it. But if you're starting as a leader, you're like, what is going on with these guys? Mm-hmm. But uh, I can argue vigorously with Dave and vice versa and we're done we just it's about the business it's not about us we don't take it personally and you know have we made personal attacks on each other absolutely (laughs) but we don't take those personally either maybe we're just getting a point across I think the important part of partnership and let me touch on that a little bit because I think people make this mistake all the time one thing Chuck and I have never done is we've never voted on one thing We've never had a vote. What we're going to do is we are going to hash it out until we come to a consensus. And the beauty of a great business partnership is the role you serve in that partnership. And I'll explain it. So if Chuck has an idea and I didn't like the idea, I ask this question all the time. I'm going to ask you this question. What is my role? It's Chuck's idea. What is my role? To play devil's advocate, to mm-hmm. bounce off of the idea? Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? Uh, no, not necessarily. <laughs> We've made the decision. Now we're going down this direction. We chose to go this direction. What's my job? Oh, you've got to support him. Yeah. That's what everyone says. I'll tell you what the real answer is. It's my job is to lead it. So if it's his idea, it's my job to go prove it right. Because it's only 10% of a great action is ever the true idea. It's how you deliver it. Mm-hmm. and how you execute on it. Listen, there's been ideas we've went my direction or Chuck's direction later on. They weren't the right idea, right? Uh, rarely have we ever looked at each other and said, told you so. We just don't go that route because I can look at them and tell them five reasons why we didn't execute really well on it. So you know what? It was our problem. And we go into every situation knowing it's our problem. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's us. And you know what? In good business and great partnership, you have to have that. And, you know, in franchising, we've had a courtside seat to partnerships. We see fathers and daughters. We see friends. We see husbands and wives. And when it works out, it's, it multiplies and amplifies the business. When it doesn't work out, it, it really disrupts the business and starts to turn it sideways and can really inhibit growth. And we have a personal experience in this. If, if you read the book Love Work, we talk about we started Anytime Fitness with a third partner. As we're growing, right, the business is gaining success and you really have two options as, as an entrepreneur you can take more of those profits and put it in your pocket or you can take more of those profits and invest it for long-term success and um, you know we just had a, a, phys- a an alignment difference with our third partner at the time and so it was a bit messy there I mean we had to buy out a partner and it got, mm. it got a bit divisive and so we've seen the upside and the downside to partnerships we've personally and I, I always say that I not now know why rock bands break up right it's never really about the music it's about the the pettiness and the egos and who has more like who gets more time on their solo who gets their lyrics who gets credit for it and i got to tell you that gets in the way of the business and we see it with some of our franchisees the pettiness right the ego the greed all that dave and i don't worry about that stuff it's we put the business ahead of us it's about the music it's not about us and it's about the business and so we're really really good despite being confident and having egos we don't let that get in the way do you think you'll buy more businesses? You just bought Bar Method. Congratulations. Yes. Mm-hmm. Why, why did you want to make that purchase, and are you looking at others? 
Well, listen, we're building a, a, a strong suite of brands underneath self-esteem brands, and we believe it has to fit within that vision and purpose we talked about. We're very specific about what we're looking at. We want brands that complement our other brands in this space. We don't want direct competition between those brands. There's healthy competition. You're always going to have that. They're all in the fitness industry. They're going to have uh, parties that might go one or the other, but we don't want direct, meaning they're the same product sure. going against the same product. They're not one hair brand going against another hair brand per se if you know what I mean Mm -hmm. Uh, that being said we also believe there are other serviceable brands that we can get into and we are in the business of franchising and what we really are passionate about are people that have had these great concepts and ideas and have struggled turning them into a franchise system and we have a very good vehicle to plug these businesses in and put that engine around and create scalability optimization into those systems that complement our larger Purpose. And you know what people see is they see the brands, but if they look at self-esteem brands, we're really a franchising platform. And so we can harness this platform to take on brands and use our capabilities and leverage them to grow. And I'll just give you like one simple example among hundreds is if we make a big investment into, say, real estate software that has like market analytics for us to use science, right, and data to pick the right site and markets, that investment can play off for all the brands, right? It can be used for Bar Method, Wax and City, mm-hmm. and Anytime Fitness. And so we have this platform of shared services like that that we can leverage. And so it's our goal to bring in more franchise brands and to look in that personal care space. So we, we are not done growing. And by doing this, we can also develop a larger engine to support all these brands, right? Because we have the ability to bring all these brands in, we can bring in better talent. We can bring in better resources and systems and solutions, which makes us a stronger organization all across the board for each and every one of these um, brands. What's the most pinch-me moment that either of you guys have had or that you have on a a regular basis at this stage of the Um, game? I don't mind. Uh, So we have these annual conferences. Mm -hmm. It's the Super Bowl weekend for our brand. It is where we bring everyone from across the world together. And, um, you know, of course, the three-day event is filled with education and networking. And, I mean, we have so much fun. I mean, it's concert events. I mean, I'm telling you, those have been, I think we've had 13 now. They've been 13 of the best weekends of my life. Hmm. But on Saturday night, uh, we celebrate our member success stories. And so we, of course, throughout the year, we're, we're... harnessing these these incredible stories of people transforming their lives and it's they may have lost weight or maybe overcome depression, whatever the story is. But what's amazing is, it's like they have changed the trajectory of their life. They are like a completely different person. They've rewired themselves. And so when we give them that award and they come up on stage and they talk unscripted from the heart about how their life has changed, first of all, most of the audience is crying. And I mean, those are the moments to me which I'm like, wow, I mean, what we do, we're making the world a better place. We are like improving people's lives because not only have they changed their life, but they're maybe a better parent. They're a better spouse. Like they're going to go forward and be a role model and change other people's lives. And so to me, man, those are my favorite moments because what pours out of their heart and soul is like indelible. It's, it's currency for my soul. I'll never forget those moments. I always get emotional. Those are my, those have been my pinch me moments. And mine are really easy. Um, I call it the trickle down effect. It's the untold stories that come alive, right? Um, every so often we all get this where we did something and you didn't know the impact it made on someone else. Um, and, and we're in a great position today, but we all are. Everyone that's listening on this makes an impact with people that surround them. And the pinch me moments is when they come back to you. 
where you didn't see it coming. And all of a sudden you get a letter. I got a letter um, not long ago, probably about three years ago, from a gentleman. But remember I told you I worked, I opened a health club all mm-hmm. the time and I'd open it up at 6 a.m. in the morning. And this gentleman was a um, therapist. And he did therapy on a, a, a you know, psychologist, and he had been doing it for a very long time. Sent me this beautiful letter that talked about, you know what, by meeting you every day, you inspired me to become healthier, and I've I've been even more inspired to watch your 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 own personal growth because it's inspired me to be a better person in my practice. I've lost over hundred pounds. This is the things I'm doing. These are the impacts you don't even know you're making in people's lives, and I call them the untold stories. Live for those moments, and you become a better person because of it. That's amazing. Do the two of you still play racquetball together? We don't, but but we play tennis, pickleball, golf. That's I because mean. I was better at racquetball. He's better at everything else. And so now we play things he beats me in all the time. I hate it. You finally picked up on that. I did. Yeah. 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 But, but you still we, play. We, we compete in everything. Yes. Uh, ping pong, golf. I mean, Philly things. Oh, we're always competitive. And hey, we're going to join that old person sport that I don't call too old. It's called pickleball. I love that sport. Yeah, so. yeah that is a growing trend as well. And we do awesome. and we do end up playing sports I'm better at. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if anyone's going to figure out the next sport to franchise i'm sure it'll be the two of you chuck dave thank you so much for joining us today it's been a true pleasure stick around we're going to go back to the classroom next with the university of st thomas opus college of business now i need to figure out how i get on that trip to antarctica let's do it (laughs) thanks allison Well, Chuck and Dave are true entrepreneurial spirits. I think that comes through in everything they say. But what's really interesting is the way they have managed to channel that energy into being really good managers as well of a large corporation. How do they do it? Let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. Marcella Della Torre teaches courses on leadership and business ethics here at St. Thomas. I'm really curious, Marcella, what you think thought hearing Chuck and Dave tell their story. I think it was amazing. You can really tell the the amount of energy that they have. And I really love they are constantly raising the bar, constantly improving, constantly thinking. Um, it was it just came through. I love how they talk about love, work and life. Yeah. And they never die. So they are constantly, like I say, brainstorming, coming up with the next thing. They created the self-esteem brands to really take care of their franchisees and their employees. And they, it seems like they are never, uh, there is never an end right. to that what comes next and they were close with their employees and they know it's getting more complex but yet still they have that uh, inner uh, energy and inner passion that guides everything they do so how do you walk that line between you don't want to you don't want to give up the human side I think they do that so well and that's what makes them so engaging and why people like working with them but you also have to be practical you have to be a manager you have to make tough decisions How do you do both? How do you lead effectively with heart? I think that's an excellent question. And I think they know each other so well. Uh, You have, for example, uh, Dave being that phenomenal firefighter and problem solver. And then Chuck is always thinking ahead and also uh, visionary. But I like how they say they are adjusting to the complexity of the business. So they understand that, you know, as they are growing, they are also needing to have more complex 
complex uh, strategic plans. They need to have more meanings. They really need to bring in those minds in the organization that can help them. So they are not naive and they know that. So they are adjusting and growing. They know because they are thinking ahead, they know that they can survive unless they really tackle these things. So I like that they are not just, uh, you know, leaving it to chance. Right. They are very intentional about it and yet still very playful and still, you know, maintaining that originality. And um, so I think they are very unique in that regard. And I think if you want it, you're an entrepreneur and want to want to continue to be successful, you need to have that kind of mindset, you know, that the status quo is not good enough, mm-hmm. that you need to look ahead and you need to plan and you need to know who to bring to the table and take care of these people who are right. going to help you continue to be successful. You need that grit, as they said, and the Absolutely. drive. And yes. then you can learn the other skills. Right. You can learn exactly. leadership from people yes. like you. Marcella mm-hmm. Delatore, thank, thank you so much for being here. Thank you to our sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business. If you haven't already, please subscribe to By All Means wherever you listen to podcasts and take a minute to rate and review us. It really helps the show. I'm Allison Kaplan on behalf of Twin Cities Business. Thanks for listening to By All Means. Teamwork to make by all means, and we've got some all stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Senior Media Relations Manager, Vanita Sakar, and Associate Dean of the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, Laura Dunham, for all their help. Our theme music is by Songfinch. Hope you enjoyed by all means. Bye.